0: We are completely sympathetic and understanding of the fact that journalists have too much to do. Mm -hmm. The problem is that like, if we don't do this, what does that mean? If we don't invest in earning trust, where does that leave us? Are we really just expecting somebody else to fix this problem?
1: You can spend months on a story, talk to a plethora of sources, but you may not get the impact you'd hoped if your audience doesn't find you trustworthy. What can journalists do to engender trust with their audience? That's the question we try to answer on this week's podcast. I'm Michael O'Connell, and this is It's All Journalism lynn walsh is an emmy award-winning journalist and former national president of the society of professional journalists she also describes herself as a digital explorer and a foia fighter which i assume means that she fights for the freedom of information act welcome to the podcast lynn thanks glad to be here also joining us today is joy mayer some of you may remember joy was on our podcast about two years ago since 2016, she's been working on the Trusting News Project, which was started at the Reynolds Journalism Institute. Welcome back to the podcast, Joy.
0: Thanks for having us. Now, when we were talking
1: a couple of years ago, we were talking a lot about uh, fostering trust in media, and you know, you're still working with, with Trusting News. Why don't you tell us a, a little bit about Trusting News to get sort of everybody started on this conversation?
0: You bet. Yeah, sadly, we haven't solved the problem yet in two years. But the the project started because there seemed to be a growing understanding in the industry that something needed to be done about the growing levels of mistrust in journalism and misunderstanding about what journalism was. And so I wanted to demystify it. I wanted to understand it so that we could address it. And ultimately, I wanted to be able to help journalists figure out what to do about it. So that's what we've been working on for the last few years.
1: So let me ask the the stupid question. Why is it important that people trust news organizations?
0: Well, we could start with democracy. (laughs) We can start with the idea that society functions when we have a shared set of facts and that if people don't trust facts and trust basic information about how civic life works, then self-governance is impossible. So
1: Lynn, why did you get involved in the Trusting News Project? What was it that, that appealed to you?
2: So for me, this was an opportunity to really build off of the work I was doing Um, while I served as national president of the Society of Professional Journalists. And I had the opportunity to talk to lots of members of the public, so non-journalists in this role. And I saw a video that Joy had made talking about the project. And when I listened to her talk about the project, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I've been thinking for the last you know, several years when I was working with SPJ and talking to members of the public. And basically it was that a lot of people make these assumptions about what we do as journalists and how journalism and news is created, um, how things work. And most of those assumptions tend to be negative. And what I learned is when you have a conversation and explain to them how you do your job, you actually kind of get rid of that negative perception, those negative assumptions, and you're able to have real conversations about story coverage and really talk about the things that matter instead of having this these kind of negative comments um, and this distrust.
1: So I guess... We as journalists, who our job is, is to get information out to people. You know, maybe we haven't been so great about getting information about ourselves and about processes. Is that a fair thing to sort of say?
2: I think absolutely. I think it's something, this is something Joy and I work, you know, yes, there's work that consumers can do, that the public can do to be better news consumers, but there's also a lot of work that we as journalists need to do. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, now it's easier than ever to talk to our audiences directly to get this feedback, which can only make our coverage better. And, you know, we didn't see that necessarily before. Yes, people could write letters in or call into a television station, but now they can in real time tell us, what about this person? Why didn't you talk to this person? Could you have talked to this person? And that just helps build better stories and creates just better news.
1: So do you see this as sort of a relative, a relatively new phenomenon? I mean, have have people, you know, maybe because of, of digital news and the, and the access to so much news twenty four hours a day, that this problem is more prevalent. But is is this something that historically has been a problem in journalism?
0: Trust in news, according to Gallup polls, peaked a few years after Watergate and has been falling ever since. So it peaked in the late 70s, and the rise of cable news really precipitated a decline and it has been steadily falling. So this is not a brand new problem, and it's not a digital problem. The decline has been faster. And certainly now that there's a public campaign waging war against facts and journalism were in worse shape than we used to be. But really, it's about a very crowded media landscape. It's about a whole bunch of different things being done in the name of journalism, not all of which are trustworthy. And it's about helping consumers navigate an information landscape that is increasingly more and more complicated.
1: Okay, so I mean, what are some of the mistakes, the things that newsrooms and journalists have been doing that maybe sort of working against fostering this this trust in in, in their audience? That's a good question. <laughs> we, no, I mean, we can't be all good. We can't be all good, or is it just bad actors and good actors?
0: No, it's not just bad actors and good actors. I mean, certainly on the extremes, there are bad actors and good actors, but I think there's a lot in the middle that happens where journalists misstep by things like when we interview news consumers about how they decide what to trust, it's amazing how many of them talk about the tone journalists use and feeling like journalists are mocking, you know, mocking the president or, or mocking certain viewpoints or something. And and from in the newsroom, they might just be thinking about how to inject more personality and informality. And maybe they don't feel that there's a bias coming through or a tone coming through that would be off-putting to certain audience members. But really, journalists are not as self-reflective as they need to be about what they're doing that causes the distrust. They don't invest in understanding why people don't trust them, and they don't accept that it's part of their job to earn trust back. Like, nobody's going to fix this problem but us. And so really what we're working on is understanding mistrust so that we can teach journalists to address it. And not all journalists will want that. The bad actors and and the people who who don't feel like their business model is falling apart and who feel really comfortable with what they're doing and who they're serving might not be interested. But for any journalists who feel mission-driven, who feel like what they're doing is important for a well-functioning society, we want to work with them.
2: And also so, something, sorry, that I think is just kind of some examples that we found, Joy and I, as we've talked to consumers, Joy mentioned that, news consumers, you know, simple things like story selection, that's a big thing. And we don't necessarily talk about in the newsroom or explain, like if you're watching the local television station, how often do you hear them say, this is why we chose to cover the story? You don't really hear that. So what what's happened is people make assumptions about, Well, they chose to cover the story because they might, their parent company is connected to this hospital or this company, or they think you, you know, why do you cover certain crimes, but you don't cover all of them, right? And just explaining those things can help kind of decrease that distrust because otherwise people are making assumptions about why you choose to cover a crime in neighborhood A versus neighborhood B, which can lead them to distrust the news organization in general and the coverage.
1: Yeah, well, I, I could certainly see that if, if somebody sees a news story that maybe they feel disagrees with what, what they're thinking and their experience and they're wondering why the newsroom chose to do that. They might have the perception that, oh, they're they're just doing this to pick on whomever. But it may very well be that the story is as the way the reporter reported it. And he's not making, you know, he or she's not making it clear that, you know, I went out and talked to all these people and these people that you say that I should talk to, I did. And these are the facts of the case. And this is really the conclusion or the, the story that I'm reporting.
0: Definitely. Here's the process we went through. Here's the pattern we think this is indicative of. And that's why we're highlighting it. In the absence of that storytelling about how journalism works, people fill in the gaps themselves. And so like Lynn said, they assume that money drives it, that there's like corporate interests or, or, you know, advertising interests driving coverage decisions. They assume that political bias drives it. And they, as Lynn said, make the worst assumptions about us. So, you know, they assume that, that we are actively suppressing some information and highlighting other information. They assume things like, they assume that when we talk about anonymous sources, that if we don't explain to people what the process is and, and how rarely we decide to use anonymous sources, they assume that sources are anonymous, even to us. They assume that like the journalists don't even know who the people are and that we're just being careless with information. There's just so much a basic lack of understanding that we're not
1: about what our processes are, what are, you know, how we source our information.
0: Yeah, the long ethical discussions that most newsrooms, again, not all newsrooms, but the newsrooms that, that a lot of us have spent our careers in have long discussions about what word to, to use and which source to use and how, how we know something's true and how comfortable we feel with information. And that's just not something the public understands.
1: Yeah, I, I know that the, the New York Times has done a few things. They've explained their, their use of anonymous sources, as a matter of fact, so it's to sort of get that understanding out there. Is this things like that is, that? is that a way to help sort of engender trust to sort of pull the veil back on, on what we're doing?
2: We think so. We think even if it's creating something extra, and I've seen some of the things that the New York Times has done, they did one on how they cover mass shootings. That was one where they had one of their reporters interview several people who have covered these mass shootings. And that's a totally separate story, right? That they created as part of explaining their process and things they think about, questions they ask, how they go about finding people to talk to, why they sometimes won't talk to certain people if, they're, if it's been so, such a traumatic experience. So yeah, we, we have encouraged with this project our news partners to do some of that. Sometimes that's creating a video. Sometimes that's just explaining what crimes you're going to cover and what crimes you're generally not going to and and why that is. And then putting it on like a web web page on your website and linking to it on social media, sending people there, talking about it when you go on air.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. I don't know. Something you said made me think about this. I think it was Chuck Todd a couple of days ago. Coming out at the beginning of a discussion about climate change and saying we're not going to have climate change deniers on this in this discussion, and here's why. At the very beginning, explaining why you're doing something, so that you avoid something a lot of journalists think about and talk about, but don't always share that this idea of balance and, and false equivalency. You know, just putting that sort of thinking out there and it is I, I think is incredibly valuable to the to the discussion of trust in news.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that you know part of that means anticipating ahead of time what criticism and pushback and questions you might get. So obviously Chuck Todd knows at this point that people will write in or call in or comment and say, how can you leave out this perspective and all the accusations that come with that? And so if you know that that's going to happen, why not address it head on? Why not write something that you include in the story or say on air or mention in a social post that kind of heads it off at the pass? And and when the newsroom partners that we've worked with have seen this happen over and over that- the conversation around the journalism is different and is more thoughtful and is just less negative when motivation and process are explained as part of the work.
1: So we we sort of talked around or you've talked around a little bit about what Trusting News has been doing, you know, talking to consumers, talking to newsrooms.
2: So, you know,
1: tell me about the project. What is it? You know, how does it work? You know, how are you communicating with your partners, communicating with the public?
2: So there have been a couple different ways that, that this has happened that we've communicated with news partners. Before I joined, Joy was working um, with several people and they were working directly with newsrooms around the country, specifically using social media platforms, so their social accounts. Then when I was joining the project about a year, a little over a year, maybe close to a year and a half ago now. We worked with another set of news partners, but this time they were, you know, they were newspapers, uh, they were radio stations, local television stations, and they could implement the strategies. So the strategies of trying to engage with their audience, trying to be more transparent and talk about how they're covering things on air, on, on TV, on their websites, on social media. And we, Joy and I, would work with them to kind of coach them through how to best maybe add language to things, and how to best respond to people who maybe had negative questions or negative comments about it. So that's how we're, we've been working with newsrooms directly. We then are taking what we've learned from those newsroom partners and sharing them more widely with the public. And that will be on our website here um, at the beginning of the year so that all journalists can see that. So then there's another research component that's going along with that too. And Joy can talk a little bit more about that.
0: Yep, we are... Working with the Center for Media Engagement at the University of Texas to take some of the work our newsrooms are doing and test it in a more controlled environment so that we can say with some more certainty, people really do just respond differently when journalists take the time to explain these things about their work. We're partnering with academic researchers when we can so that we can just get a little bit more concrete evidence. There's a lot that we feel works and that our newsroom partners say, man, I just know that this, that people responded to this differently or that this went better. And, and journalists, understandably, are excited for evidence. How did people did more people click through to this? Did, did the comment sections change because of this? Did people subscribe because of this? So metrics are tricky in this situation because there's so many moving pieces, but we're always on the hunt for things that can point to signs of success.
1: So are these the sort of experiments that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we we have we typically recruit newsrooms to help us test certain things. And then the newsrooms sign up for a period of time to say, yes, for these several months, we will try these things and kind of log what we try and how it works and check in with us regularly and that sort of thing. So we really couldn't do any of this without the newsrooms willing, willing to help us.
1: Can you give me any, any examples of uh, these experiments and results that you've seen?
2: The one that kind of plays off of something we were talking about, about anticipating your audience. So one of our television stations based um, in Ohio, uh, WCPO, they had been doing this big investigation. They were spending months on it related to the police department and law enforcement agencies. And they knew having, because they pay attention to their audience, that in the past, when they've come out with stories like this, they sometimes get negative feedback from their audience why are you picking on law enforcement? You know, they're trying to do something good. You know, why are you spending all this time? If that kind of thing. So before the investigation came out, one of the editors wrote just kind of an explainer on why they were spending time looking at this, why this is an important part of their mission and their goal as a news organization, focusing on, you know, the journalist and news organization's role as being a watchdog to society, holding the powerful accountable, that this is a public safety issue, those kind of things. And when they wrote about that, the editor and the team really felt like then their story had a chance to really be a story and not turn into this negative backlash that overshadowed what
0: they had uncovered.
1: Was the TV station able to implement what they learned or, you know, how how did they relate that to you?
0: Part of their strategy was explaining what their values were as a station and explaining the process of journalism. And so for them, that was what they did that was their participation in the experiments. Was saying ahead of time what opportunity does this story or project give us to explain to people who we are and what we stand for, and then they watch and see how people respond.
1: Have there been any, any things have been any of these experiments or things that the newsrooms have done that have been surprises, or, or are they all just sort of we're doing this because we think that we're, this is going to happen, and and the, those assumptions have sort of borne out?
0: Where the surprises have come are really in furthering our understanding and our news partners' understanding of what people think of journalism. So, for example, I think the thing that probably most has surprised me is how many people are interested in things outside the newsrooms. How many people are interested in, you know, Lynn was talking about corporate ownership, like the assumption that people at a corporate office across the country are telling local journalists what to cover. Also, the assumption that local journalists are picking wire stories to further a political agenda. Local newsroom partners get so many questions about AP stories and Washington Post stories and CNN stories and whatever national coverage a local newsroom selects to share with their audiences. Man, do local communities have a ton of questions about that. And honestly, in a local newsroom, they aren't paying that much attention to it. Like the boss decided which service to subscribe to. And that's kind of it. And yet still, we are providing that information. And so we need to be willing to explain it, defend it, take feedback about it back to the those wire services. There are things that people are interested in and curious about and making negative assumptions about that local journalists are just not invested in explaining.
1: I know that that my experience in a weekly community newspaper, for example, during political season, we would get tons of letters. And one year in particular, we we got a lot of letters from one side of the argument. And I, I got a couple of phone calls from people. It was like, why are you only showing one side of the argument? and i'm kind of like why aren't you writing why aren't you writing letters in it's as if my agenda is to only print only one side of the agenda as, or one side of the argument as opposed to i have a hole in my my editorial page that i need to fill with letters and these are the letters i have received and, and on one hand you know yeah that's you know that's kind of the you know that's kind of the reality of what i was dealing with the other side of the argument is, you know, what, you know, what can I do to foster debate? What can I do to, to bring in other people, to encourage people to, to help me fill out that section, not just to, you know, just, oh, well, this is all I've received, to look for other opportunities.
0: That's a really fantastic example because it shows how journalists, you know, honestly, I'm sure like most people in most industries are very focused on whatever they have on their plate that day and whatever, whatever task they need to accomplish. So, a lot of journalists sort of passively receive information and make decisions based on that, you know, fill the hole on opinion page based on that. But from a community member perspective, from a reader or viewer perspective, you are making editorial and agenda setting decisions and you need to be willing to defend them and stand, stand behind them.
2: And we had had several, several newsrooms adjust or just kind of a talk about this issue of opinion versus news. And, you know, the whole idea that a lot of people, when you use the word editorial, that doesn't necessarily mean opinion to them, right? So explaining that very basic thing, using words that the public understands as opinion versus editorial or an op-ed, that was something that some people just didn't understand. So our news partners took time to make sure they were using the word opinion or explaining, you know, the, the content as it was there. They also, there were several newsrooms that did things to explain, here's how to write in. To, you know, here's how you do it. Here's how it works here. Are, you know, we only want it to be 250 words. Here's how to submit it. We may sometimes edit it, you know, talking about those things to kind of shorten it. So those are things that are really helpful to then because you think, well, OK, my contact information's out there. They're going to they know how to get a hold of me. But just asking people to submit and explaining to them how one more time makes it a lot easier for the public.
1: Do you think this is really kind of uh, part of the larger discussion on promoting news literacy? That, you know, that's something we've talked about on the podcast a lot.
0: I think it's connected to news literacy, but I think that, I think news literacy is like, I would like people to understand how to decide what information is credible and how to go to the about page of a website and, you know, the fact that they should watch to see if, news organizations correct information and have ethics policies. And there's some basic things that we need to teach people about what makes certain news organizations more credible than others. But I, I do think that we have problems as an industry if there's so much vocabulary people need to learn in order to follow along. And if we put too much of the expectation and the the ownership on the part of the news consumer to be able to successfully navigate, then I think we have some basic problems with transparency and storytelling. And I think that journalists need to do do more to be clear and to make it easier to navigate rather than expecting news consumers to work so, so hard. Just basic things like, you know, as Lynn was saying, the difference between news and opinion. Honestly, I have trouble when I turn on the TV, figuring out who in this circle of talking heads around a table is a journalist and who's a source and who's an analyst and, you know, just the different roles. And I think that a lot of news organizations suffer from You know, you take a story from a website and you share it, and if the word opinion is or column is not in the headline, it can be very, very hard to tell as the story moves around the internet where it came from and what the purpose is and sort of what under what umbrella it was created. We just don't do a good enough job expecting helping people navigate.
1: I've dealt with situations where people would, you know, the website that I worked at, we had a daily column by a senior journalist, and occasionally people would write in, hey, this is opinion this isn't news. And it's like, well, it's a column. The fact is the guy's, you know, speaking in the first person and, you know, maybe, maybe that was a hint, but, you know, making sure that people understand what they're reading is probably a good thing to do. Uh, so how can newsrooms get involved in trusting news to become partners to what you're, what you're doing?
2: So we are, after, we're going to be launching the website here shortly. So that will be available if a newsroom is having any kind of issue, that's something they can search for. Let's say they're having people complain to them and call their content fake news. They can go on the website and search and see what other newsroom partners have done to kind of combat those complaints. But something else is we will be looking for newsrooms to try certain different things that we want to test. So maybe it's, some A-B testing in a newsletter. Maybe it's adding um, certain words or using certain language on TV before you introduce a reporter or a certain topic. So we'll be looking for kind of very specific things that we want to test to see if they really are working. And we'll be kind of looking for newsrooms because we need those newsrooms to do that in order to see how the public responds.
1: Now, uh, one of the reasons we're talking today is that uh, Trusting News and the American Press Institute are going to be... starting a partnership this month American Press Institute great people who are uh, doing a lot to make n- news better you know getting good information out about uh, journalism so what are you hoping to accomplish with that uh, relationship
0: I'm so excited about this cuz I've worked sort of loosely with the folks at API for a couple of years and it feels like every time they launch a new project or publish a report I just cheer and clap and think, man, that's that's just exactly what we're working on too. So their work on reader revenue and, you know, building loyalty and memberships, their work on analytics, their metrics for news program is so fantastic. Their work on what they call news fluency, which is another way to talk about news literacy um, in terms of what people understand about news. It all just aligns beautifully. So I think we have some really amazing potential for collaboration, working with the same newsrooms, conducting joint research. It's just going to be fantastic
1: so what advice would you have for for somebody who may be listening to this as a journalist may not be the you know the top editor in the in the newsroom but how they can sort of improve their their transparency their you I mean just sort of address some of these engagement issues to be more a more trustful journalist i guess
2: Some basic things that that I can think of is is one, you know, asking for feedback from your audience. I think that's something that we maybe don't do enough of. And you know, it's not just, okay, here's our tip line, which I think, you know, that's a good start, but it's what's coverage that you want to see? What's happening in your neighborhood? Or, you know, we here's the story. Is there anyone that you know we could have, should have talked to? And that's that's kind of that looking back that Joy mentioned and kind of that that looking at our coverage. What did we do? So that asking for feedback and engaging with the audience, but then also just not being afraid to explain what you did that day as you gathered information for the story. I mean, you know, yes, you move so fast. Anyone who's been in a newsroom knows that. It's a fast-paced environment. But think about those decisions you made. Why did you decide to call person A? What makes them a credible source on this? Who else did you talk to in the background that may not have been in your story? And maybe you don't name them, but just saying that you know, I called eight different people to get information for this as I was moving forward today. And those are things that reporters are doing every day, but we're not necessarily sharing that with our audience.
1: Again, sort of this this idea of being transparent about your process, explaining what you're doing so that so it's clear that uh, you've, you've done all the, the ethical steps that, that we all sort of take, but we don't always show our work, I guess, is the best way to put it.
0: Right. And we take them for granted. We take them for granted, but other people don't. And so, you know, one of the most effective things that several of our nutrient partners did was just invite questions in a really public way. Some of them did it via Facebook Live and some did it via Facebook Comment. And I've seen newsrooms also do it on Reddit, where they just sort of say, our editors are going to be here for the next 30 minutes or hour or whatever. It's important to us to earn your trust. What questions do you have about how we decide what to do, about how we do our work? And the questions are just the kinds of things we covered, like how do you decide what stories to cover? And who are the people who work in your newsroom? And what political bias or agenda drives your coverage and just giving people a chance to ask questions directly is incredible. And then what that comment thread provides to the newsroom is a recipe book for what the community wants to know about you. And then what our newsroom partners have done is create stories based on that. So man, every time we cover a crime, we seem to get questions about why, what coverage decisions we made. So let's put a story on our website that is, here's how we decide what crimes to cover. The Virginian pilot worked with us and they did a whole series on this about, here's how we make these different decisions as we do our work. So really just opening yourself up and being interested to hear goes a long way. And I love how you said, Michael, that You know, it's important to help not just the bosses in the newsroom, but everyday journalists. The focus of our project is not on big institutional commitments that newsrooms need to make. It's on what individual people can do as they go about their work. So our project is very practical and it's very focused on day-to-day decisions. Put this, include this language in your social post. Add a box with your story that explains this. Be willing to answer questions and here's what you do with what you hear.
1: Yeah. And maybe even spending a little you know, if, if you have the time, if you're at a site where you're covering an event or something, making yourself available, you know, I know that when I've been out in the field and covering things that sometimes you get sort of caught up in, I, I need to get the news. I need to get the story. I got I need to file everything. You don't build into your process, the opportunity for, you know, the sort of transparency that we're talking about, this interaction with your audience. I think there are some really good journal good, good journalists who are able to use social media to to build a rapport with their their readership and sort of answer questions about why a particular story that you know why they covered a particular way, you know looking for opportunities like that and then you know being being able to step back and be critical about your work, you know we we all have reached out to sources and and gotten zero calls back and you know how do we represent that in a story, not acknowledging the fact that that somebody somebody. Decided that they didn't want to, you know, give you a comment. I mean, it's important to, for you to have that information there to give give your reader some context. So, just as if we don't have so many other things to think about, just more things to us to think about to make our jobs that much more complicated. But, but the the benefits that you get from putting this extra work are, are huge. They make you, people will trust you more.
0: Yeah. I mean, Lynn and I have spent our careers in newsrooms, so we are completely sympathetic and understanding of the fact that journalists have too much to do. It's just the problem is that, like, if we don't do this, what does that mean? If we don't invest in earning trust, where does that leave us? Are we really just expecting somebody else to fix this problem? So. One other thing I want to mention is that we, thanks to a grant from Democracy Fund, we're able to launch a coaching service this month where journalists can sign up to get one-on-one help because every newsroom, every story, every community is different. And you can actually get a free phone call with a trusting news person to talk through what you're doing. So if you go to trustingnews.org, we'll have more information about how to do that. And also the contact information for Lynn and myself in case folks want to
1: hear more. I know you talked a bit about you know what you're doing with API and, and the launch of the, the website what what else uh, can we look forward to from trusting news in 2019 I like asking questions like that because we're right at the beginning of a new year
2: the coaching program I think is going to be a, a big thing that that both joy and I are excited about and you know it's just gonna launch you know what what exactly it looks like where it's going to depend on you know who reaches out and is interested in taking us up on the offers of of the help I mean we really as joy was mentioning you know this is something that we think is something that needs to be built into the process of journalism this isn't something that just is okay you can add this language every time and it's boilerplate you know this is something that we're asking journalists to sort of rethink a little bit of their daily process when they tell a story like you said making time when you're when you're on the scene right to maybe talk to a couple people not just about that story but just have a conversation with them. Maybe talk to them about journalism. So, so we're hoping that the coaching program we can really spend some some quality one on one time with newsrooms, but also journalists to help them get this that these trusting news principles built into their reporting on a daily basis.
1: Lynn Joy, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for coming in. And, and you know, if people haven't thanked you, thank you for doing this work. This is
0: important work. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of It's All Journalism. Before I wrap up, I wanted to thank the American Press Institute again for helping us to set up this interview with Joy Mayer and Lynn Walsh. If you're not familiar with API, visit their website, AmericanPressInstitute.org. You'll find a whole bunch of research and tips about making journalism better. Be sure to sign up for their daily email newsletter. I subscribe to it, and that's where you get a lot of the great ideas that we have for topics to discuss on the podcast. It's 2019, and why don't you make it a New Year's resolution to sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to produce an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell.